Welcome to the Women in Public Policy Program Seminar Series Podcast at the Harvard Kennedy School. Okay, good afternoon everyone. Um, I'm Iris Bonnet. I'm the director here of the Women in Public Policy Program and it's um, our pleasure to welcome you today on Friday, which I know um, is not normally the day when you are at the Kennedy School. And Gabriela will appreciate that because uh, the proudest moment on her CV, maybe not, that's not what she would say, but the proudest moment for us is that she is a graduate of the Kennedy School. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's such a pleasure to have you back, Gabriela. Thank you very much for coming um, today. Uh, so Gabriela is going to be presenting on Making Gender Targets Count, Time for G20 Leaders to Deliver. And I learned about the project when I met with Gabriela in April when uh, at the OCD kindly hosted a, an event for me for my book. And I was so impressed, uh, not just because of the evidence-based approach that we, are, of course, are familiar with, with the OECD, but also the deep thinking that went into how do we translate this evidence into practice? So how do we actually make it happen? Um, so let me tell you a bit more about them, Gabriela. But Gabriela is the OECD Special Counselor to the Secretary General. She's Chief of Staff and Sherpa. Since 2006, she has been advising and supporting the Secretary General's strategic agenda. Gabriela is responsible for the contributions of the organization to the global agenda including the G20 and G7, and she was the main architect behind the G20 gender target adopted at the 2014 Brisbane Summit. I'd also like to welcome and remind everyone that uh, we are live and we are welcoming our podcast community from around the world. We're happy to say that we have about 11,000 people who listen to these podcasts kind of around the world. Um, so welcome to all of you as well. Uh, Gabriela has such a long CV. I think I'm not going to read everything. But it is just, no, no, no. But um, such an amazing um, CV. I think also a role model for many of you who are Kennedy School graduates or, or currently Kennedy School students of the kinds of things that you can um, achieve in life. So most recently, let me actually just share this one with you. The President of France, uh, François Hollande, granted her the recognition of member of the Order of Merit in the grade of Chevalier due to her contributions to strengthen the relationship between the OECD and France. So clearly, Gabriela, you are a bridge builder in many different ways, and we're just delighted to have you here. Before I turn over to Gabriela, I also wanted to welcome Stefano Scarpetta, who is director at the OECD, and as Gabriela, Gabriela told me, really in many ways very responsible for uh, the work that you will be um, hearing about today. So thank you very much for your leadership on gender equality. And with that, let me um, welcome Gabriela and turn over uh, to you. Thank you very much for making the time and your big schedule today. Well, thank you very much, uh, Iris. I have to say that uh, we are in the club of mutual admiration. <laughs> Because actually, Iris made this uh, fantastic down-to-earth presentation in the OECD. Uh, and because, as you know, I mean, people that have been following the gender uh, uh, debate, gender policies, and how to make gen women participation in the economy and in the life and the societies uh, count, uh, know that uh, you go into the whole set of issues, analysis, indicators, uh, rules, negotiations, discussions, and then it's about culture <laughs> and it's about stereotypes and it's about so so what iris is doing i think is amazing because it shows 
that you really need to uh, uh, address biases and you need to address many of the learned uh, behaviors that we have just by growing up in a context that is so unfriendly to women. What I want to do today is to show you how did we build up uh, this agenda uh, in the G20, in the OECD, but also in the in the G20. I have to say that uh, my partner in crime for this uh, target is here <laughs> because we, we actually did it in, in two ways. I was in the Sherpa uh, track pushing it and convincing the Sherpas who represent the leaders at the G20 about why this was useful for the G20 and for the countries. And uh, 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 Stefano uh, represents us in the working group on employment of the G20 and the ministerial meeting of employment. And he was rolling with the punches about the evidence and the why yes and why no. And, even defining the target, which was not a very straightforward issue. And then, of course, we will go for the presentation on the issues that we had, but, uh, but maybe a discussion also of how this happens and how these, uh, the personalities around, no? My discussions with the Chinese, with the Americans, with the Australian Sherpa, who was a fantastic lady. Uh, and so we can get into those issues that are also very important because it's all about people and it's all about the commitment of people uh, like all of you to make things happen. So first, how did we frame it? The G20 is not a setting where you will be discussing um, generalities. You're just discussing how we make the global economy get uh, its act together again. Um, and, and what we are seeing in general is that it's just not working. We just released a recognized <coughs> outlook uh, this week. And what we are saying is that we are still in a very low growth trap. Uh, we are still seeing around the world probably the U.S. is doing better, but, but it cannot be only the only engine of growth. Uh, all the other uh, uh, economic uh, regions are in the down path, in Europe, in uh, China, in Japan. Uh, I mean, it's just to mention uh, the few. Uh, and therefore, you have this kind of, uh, of uh, picture that is not so uh, um, positive. Uh, the reality is that we have a very important uh, output gap that is related to unemployment, that is related to low investment, that is related to many issues. So there are many uh, uh, items in the uh, economic agenda of the G20, but we said, well, there might be some other sources of growth. And this was actually the way that the Australian Sherpa framed it. She said, we need to look at new sources of growth. And when she said that, that in a conversation that we had, we immediately said, well, I have one very important source of growth that we might need to tap, and it's not so complicated. To confirm what I said, uh, this is how we see it, uh, and it's amazing. Uh, this is, of course, uh, the, um, the advanced economies that uh, form part of the OECD, but also the emerging economies with whom we work, uh, China, Brazil, Indonesia, um, um, India, and, uh, and South Africa. Uh, but you can see that uh, there is a real uh, decrease uh, um, uh, perspective for getting uh, the economies going uh, related to uh, total factor productivity, related to capital per worker, employment rate, uh, active population rate. So the reality is that we are in a world that we need to think it over because we are even having deep concerns of how the commitments made by governments are going to be met in terms of pension schemes, in terms of uh, returns to the investment, in terms of what people are expecting uh, for it to work. So this is, this is the context is really uh, worrisome. So uh, we said, OK, uh, how do we put the gender issue in the table? First of all, uh, there is a fact that all the governments around the world have been investing more in education, in general. 
but because education for girls have always lagged behind, it's for sure that they have really uh, take advantage of this uh, uh, policy. And now we know that uh, uh, the gender uh, or the attainment of girls uh, in terms of school attainment is, is higher sometimes than boys. And actually it was very interesting because it was uh, Hillary Clinton who shared our ministerial in 2012 who wanted to put the question of gender in the agenda. And it was interesting to see how much some countries like the Nordics were very bo worried about boys. <laughs> and you can see it here because of course uh, they, they uh, are lagging behind in terms of their uh, school attainment and the, the degrees, the, high, the higher education degrees in many countries uh, for men are falling. Nothing to worry about because in any case the share is uh, much higher. But the truth is that the trend tells us that it's a very good story. And there is something that you can connect with leaders because they know they have been <coughs> making investments. And you say, are you really getting the return of that investment that you are putting so much into? <coughs> and, and of course the answer was no. If you get into the, into the labor market, of course you know it. I mean, the, the gender gap in terms of uh, labor force participation of women is very high. Uh, there is not a single country that would be uh, equally represented in terms of female male participation. Uh, of course, this is the context that we faced because the reality is that uh, we were talking to Canada, who is a country that has been uh, uh, putting together policies to increase uh, gender participation since two decades ago, and you see the result, the lowest uh, gender gap in terms of labor force participation. Uh, but then you need to bring the gap between Canada and Saudi Arabia. We had a very nice uh, context because it happened that the king uh, in Saudi Arabia had decided that he wanted to educate the girls. And so the mindset was different. <laughs> because when we put it, we said, my God, how are we going to deal with these very traditional societies that are not even talking about it? The, the point is that there was this leadership at the king's level, which is where these uh, societies respond better, uh, that they thought that it was a good idea to have uh, girls educated and girls working. When I visited Saudi Arabia, invited by the Sherpa, uh, I noticed that they uh, uh, create schools for girls, not mixed, and they create jobs for women, not mixed. So it's a little bit complicated, but in any case, there was this leadership that helped us uh, move. Mexico, always embarrassing, and I, I think they uh, should do better, but uh, that's where we are, Turkey and India. But in any case, this is the kind of uh, mapping that we <coughs> presented to the, to the G20. Then the reality of uh, the gender gap, uh, and also a very clear discrimination in all of the countries where we have information. And again, there is not a single country where we would say that there is no gap, no wage gap. And this is embarrassing because uh, uh, you can talk about the G20, and, and maybe even in Mexico you can say, well, you know, we are lagging behind the institutional setting, we are a developing country, low income, no? But the reality is that you're also talking about the G7 countries, and all of them are having this uh, gender gap. The average uh, gap is 60%, something like that, but then you can have uh, some countries that are completely like mine, who is, uh, again, very in the very nice uh, first position in that horrible table. Um, and then, of course, some other facts, no? How much uh, unpaid work uh, female is, uh, has to do in all of these countries uh, compared to men, and then, of course, uh, starting to lay the ground of some of the elements that explain why women are less prone, less 
feasible for them to, to get into engaging in, in rewarding jobs or into connecting with the most uh, interesting parts of the, of the labor market. So these were the kind of issues that we presented. And I think it, it really struck a chord because it was, as you see, very uh, economically framed. Uh, we know, and this is something that we feel in our, no, violence lack of legal status, lack of recognition, uh, all these things that we know about women uh, that hurts a lot. And actually, I was at the United Nations in a very interesting uh, debate about the cost of violence and the fact that three out of four women in the world are beaten. And, and so these things hurt and are awful. But in the G20, we need to frame it non-emotional, no passionate, no straight to the point, straight to facts. And, and just to convince uh, people that it was important to get into this topic. We were basing our work, and this usually happened to the OECD, because the OECD, for those that don't know it, of course, is an organization that was established in the 60s to administer the Marshall Plan. So the profile of the OECD was always to look for <coughs> evidence-based policies, and actually to sit around the table countries that will discuss the detail of these policies, even if they are domestic policies. But it's, it's the exchange of, of information and experience is very important. And we had, in 1980, we had a declaration of gender issues, uh, gender empowerment. And, uh, and it was approved by the Committee of Manpower, no? <laughs> Which, when, when we started looking at it and producing the next uh, generation of gender recommendation, we found that the uh, Manpower had just produced that beautiful piece. Uh, which was actually very good on content, uh, but not great progress. So we launched the uh, gender strategy in 2012. 2011 was approved, and then we launched the, the, the whole setting of issues that we wanted to, to produce. And we just uh, focused on very specific issues, the three I's, education, employment, entrepreneurship, just to get it down, boil it down to very specifics. Promote good quality education for boys and girls and gender equality in educational choices the famous STEM and why women are not uh, getting access or themselves are not feeling that they can go for STEM uh, disciplines. We are usually better paid. Promote family-friendly policies and working conditions and combat discrimination and reduce the gender gap in entrepreneurship activity. And for all that, trying to get the best in the comparable indicators across the board and all the countries that are working uh, for us. And then, of course, to not only uh, uh, walk the talk, not, not only um, say the talk, but walk the talk in terms of delivering and implementing the policies at home. And so we, again, with the gender recommendation, we uh, again uh, <coughs> try to gather all the evidence of why these things are happening. Uh, we are the house of the PISA uh, instrument that measures educational outcomes. But the beauty of PISA is not only they put the children to do this test uh, on math, science, or literature uh, standardized, uh, but we also asked them some questions. And we had a beautiful book that I recommend that you have. I think I gave it to Iris when she came to the OECD, The ABC of Gender uh, Discrimination in Education. And the fact is that girls are usually uh, less confident, and they report so. I mean, you, you, you measure the girls that are top performers in PISA with the boys that are top performers, and you ask a very straightforward question saying, are you good in maths, when they are good in maths? And 30% of the girls say yes, and 60% of the boys say yes. So in, in, in this, is, this is a question. Then we ask their parents, are you expecting your girl to go to university? And they don't. And then if you ask, are you expecting your girl to go to engineering? And it's just like, forget it. So it's the whole setting of, and the level of ambition that we reproduce in school and at home that is uh, giving us this uh, outcome 
in which girls are just not choosing these kind of careers. Now, the question of uh, um, how do we build the infrastructure necessary in our economies to allow women to take care of families, of course, share, sharing the burden, as you saw, <laughs> better with men, uh, but also to have uh, the facilities uh, to take care for children and that will let, let them uh, get engaged in a, in a professional uh, um, enterprise uh, while their children are very well taken uh, care of. Uh, this is uh, a win-win policy. I think this is one of the most important win-win policies, not only for gender, but also for all the inequality and for achieving inclusive growth. Because the reality is that is there where you, I mean, the difference that you can make for uh, children from social economic backgrounds that are difficult, by putting them in these school facilities and ensuring that it's a quality early childhood education, uh, is the most important equalizer in terms of learning outcomes, but also in terms of socioeconomic outcomes. So this is another uh, uh, aspect. And the, and, the, and the incredible thing is that not even in the advanced economies you have it well covered. And in the education uh, field, we're also wanting to know what happened at that level, because we don't have information. Who are the teachers? How do they take care? How do they ensure that the, the, gir the girls and boys are well taken care of? It's just Blind, blind, we don't know. And then the question of uh, paid leave. This is another very, very powerful tool. Um, but you need to enact dual parental leave, which in the US is uh, quite, quite, quite a discussion, <laughs> uh, but also in Mexico and everywhere. But you need to make it work. Because uh, Stefano was reminding us, it's amazing that, for example, Korea uh, adopted the uh, uh, daddy's uh, uh, month. And uh, look, it's like, very generous in terms of full payment in the in the basis of take it or leave it or lose it, which is good because if not, they don't take it. Only 3% of the parents take that. And actually, it was a very interesting session. I was in, in Japan. We were in a panel, and that was a real gender kind of stereotyping because I was in a panel discussing the global economy because of the G20 and the G7, and I was the only girl in the panel. Uh, there were three uh, boys. And then I look at the auditorium, and there were lots of boys. But this is Japan. And then the, the moderator, out of the blue, said, what do you think about gender issues? I was like, why is he asking me? <laughs> it's like, it's not even in the program. But I said, well, but I appreciate that he does. No? But then I look at the, at the auditorium, and I said, oh my god, if I just throw on them my traditional speech on women count, they're going to turn to me like, go home, no, <laughs> white lady. And so, or, or dark lady. Uh, and no, I said, well, gender is about gender. Not about girls or boys, it's gender and gender friendly policies. And I'm sure that all these wonderful <coughs> Japanese guys will love to have more time for themselves and not working, no, from nine to nine and then don't have any other time uh, for children and for, no. So I escaped the thing, but, uh, but it, it was quite interesting that they asked us. But it's amazing. Canada, for example, um, started to uh, enact this uh, dual parental leave like 15 years ago. Uh, the Canadian Sherpa told me it was enacted when I was becoming a father. And it was a shame if you would take dual parental leave in the Canadian context. Because everybody would look at you like, oh, what a lack of commitment. What is wrong with this guy, no? Now, it would be a shame if you don't take it. So what happened in Canada 
it's a very interesting case to see how they manage to move uh, forward. Gabriela, before you move on, um, just a footnote. So next time you're in a similar audience, another thing you can say is to remind people that they are, many of them are fathers of daughters. You might know this research that fathers of daughters are much, care much more about gender equality than men who don't have children or only have boys. Um, and, and you know who is a champion in the G20? Mr. Trudeau. Oh, yes. Because he has daughters. And when we were talking in the G7 in Isushima, because again, we put it there, we're putting it everywhere. <laughs> we managed to get it in the G20, but then we went to the G7 in El Mao and we put women entrepreneurship, and then we went to Isushima and we put STEM, and, uh, and because of course the Prime Minister of Japan is really concerned about aging and, and the shrinking labor force, and they rather have uh, women than migrants, so they are encouraging a lot, uh, taking up uh, women in the labor market. But, but the Secretary General was asked to talk about STEM, and then Prime Minister Trudeau said, you know, you're completely right, because, and, and, and what I'm thinking, I was telling my boy, you should do this, and you, you should do that, no? And no, I was telling my girl. And then my, my, my wife told me, talk to your boy. It's not about girls. It's not a girl's conversation. And she's right, she's right, because we're always putting in on women. So it was, it was great. We have a great champion there. Uh, but also President Obama, who I'm very sorry he's going to leave us uh, some, in some months. Uh, but, uh, and, I, and I hope we will have a, a gender uh, replacement, <laughs> if you don't mind my comments. <laughs> uh, well, let me tell you, that was another very funny story, because we were discussing these issues, and I'm being very politically incorrect, but I don't care, because I'm Mexican and I'm a woman, so I, you, might guess, you might guess what outcome I want from that, those elections. Uh, but it was very funny because we were discussing those things in the OECD, and suddenly an American uh, uh, colleague said, oh, I wish so much that the next president is a woman. <laughs> and a French colleague said, I wish that in France is not the case. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. Okay, so uh, this is the, 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 the missing cap. The mi we call it the missing, the missing entrepreneurs, because the reality is that, again, if there is a place where all these stereotypes hit the ground, is in the entrepreneurship. With women have less access to capital and they ask for less access. They see it as a male's issue and all these uh, 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 barriers that we face everywhere are compounded when you go into the entrepreneurship where not even in the OECD we would have good information about these uh, elements of this agenda. So, um, and then the, of course, leadership in parliament. And here I'm very proud of Mexico <laughs> because, and it seems that it works. All the people are saying, oh my God, we hate targets. We hate quotas, like, sorry. We have been talking about gender for so long. Go for quotas, and then you, no? And when I presented the report that we did uh, documenting uh, how much this quota has produced good results, because it's not only the, the approval of the quota, but how do you uh, frame it? How do you uh, implement it that, that really delivers results? And there was someone who asked me, uh, oh my God, but this is a problem because how would you avoid getting incompetent women into the jobs just because they're women? And I said, well, <coughs> that's a question that applies to everybody. There are lots of incompetent men and we don't even, they didn't even get there because of a quota. <laughs> so, uh, but, but, but this is a very good, very good because it has been approved in the last five years. And it's as strong as it gets and you can see that they really managed to get very good uh, uh, women. Of course, is the question of the pipeline, is the question of training them, is the question of having the girls exposed to the chairing a committee in the parliament, of being in charge of developing certain policies. So you have a very good, strong 
group of, of, of women that can take uh, uh, the, the jobs uh, in these, uh, when you have quotas. That's, of course, a more comprehensive agenda, but we're still also loving behind in so many uh, parts of the world. Uh, so how do we did it in the G20? As I said, um, there, there was this question of, uh, of uh, how do we um, um, uh, go for new sources of growth? As usually, we talk with the new the presidency. The G20 is uh, the presidency is very strong. So when you see that the next presidency is Australia or Russia or Mexico or this time it was China, they really are able to define the agenda uh, because it's leaders' level. So they listen to their leader and then they try to move it. And then we have a conversation with them because the OECD has become like a, a non-official uh, support team for the presidencies when it gets to gather the evidence of the issues. And so we came back, and I discussed with Stefano, and we gathered together, and we said, how do we frame the question of gender? And then we produced a very nice little piece that I put in the Sherpa table like that, no? And then the American lady, who, Karen, Carolyn Atkinson, who is now in Google, but she was a Sherpa and the Deputy National Security Council, she said, this is big, and this is important, and my president is fully committed to gender. And then the Australian Sherpa said, yeah, this is fantastic. And then you started to see the others like, oh. <laughs> and, but because the Australian Sherpa was really committed to it, uh, but, she, but she had like tons of things to fight, he said, please help me convince the Sherpas. I said, yeah, I'll go. Huh? I went talking to the Israel, when they were convinced, the Chinese. <laughs> I was like, no, look, you know, no, we can't. We can't because we have too many women in the rural area. We don't even count them. We don't know how are we going to mobilize. We are not going to deliver. I think, no, but don't worry, because of course the systems are going to be in place, and these, and you know, as long as you report that you're doing something, no? No, no, I don't want to. And then I was pushing him, showing him that it was feasible, that it was possible, that we could do it, that we could help him, that we could not. And at the end, he said, you know, Marilla, stop it. I don't think this is for leaders. Women issues are not for leaders. And I said, oops, <laughs> what do you say about that, no? So I said, no, well, I think it is. I think it is, but let's, let's see how we move it. And at the end, of course, uh, Stefano went into the working group to present the substance to fight the battle at the, at the uh, um, technical level, because it was also very important that we have sound technical analysis that would say is possible. The baseline scenario, how much you increase, how much you do, because that carried the day. Then my boss, Secretary General Buria, who is also <coughs> a great champion for gender, uh, came and talked to all the ministers and talked to the leaders, and that's how we move it and move it. So, but 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 it was amazing because there were some countries saying, no way. And as I said, Saudi Arabia was interesting because they had this instruction from the king, who was uh, actually uh, helpful from 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 that point of view. And then we produce all the information. This is what Stefano produced, Stefano and her teams, uh, which was pretty straightforward, no? How much uh, the population trend, how much the uh, employment rate, how much, all these elements uh, that maybe later he can uh, talk to about it if you if you are interested. But but it was kind of a, 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 a non-starter. It was just like, let's activate women to, to have a better outcomes. Uh, it meant 100 million women for, uh, from here to 2025. And how would you miss that? which, on the other hand, is well-educated women, as I have already uh, shown. And so this can have an impact also on productivity. So it's not only the labor force increase, but also the productivity impact that you can have when you add up this talent that is uh, with certain level of education. 
So this is how we presented it. The end uh, was good. Uh, it was good in many sense because for me, of course, it was gender. <laughs> I was so happy that, that the leaders uh, addressed it and that the Australians addressed it. And that actually at the end it was, uh, it, it started like moving. Uh, we did a trick because at some point I was with the Australian and the, and the, and the American and, and the Australian said, you know, it's great, but we are on only three women, no? And it's, it's, it's usually like that. Women talking about women issues. Uh, shouldn't we look for a man? I was like, the Japanese. <laughs> and we went with the Japanese. Because we knew that Prime Minister Abe, with his Abenomics, had put womenomics as part of the equation. So we said, have we get a deal for you, Mr. Nagamine? <laughs> <laughs> and so he felt like, oh, this is great because my prime minister. And then he raised the flag and said, yes, we should. And he did an impassionate, no? and imagine a man from Japan saying it makes a lot of sense. And of course, the three ladies were like, oh my god, he's so smart. I think he got it right. <laughs> so that's, that's how we manage in the, in the intricacies. But the other part that was very good, first, of, of course, it was a target. And, and we like targets because these international gatherings, the global governance issues, sometimes uh, are boring for the common people that come out and say, well, but what about the G20? What are they doing? This thing captured the attention, saying, wow, it's strong. It's a commitment. It's something that you need to deliver. And second, uh, with Stefano, we ensured that there was a monitoring, that there was no, OK, thank you. You implemented. See you later. No but that there was a monitoring. And actually, I have to say that uh, one of the countries that was also difficult was Mexico. But there I was very comfortable because I mean, <laughs> the Sherpa came and said, Gabriela, the Ministry of Labor is not supporting this. They are very concerned because uh, they don't think they can deliver. And I said, no, no, no. Mexico is not going to be with Saudi Arabia. You can't. But with Turkey. You just can't. And so, and suddenly, by chance, the Deputy Minister of Labor called me for another thing. I need your help. I need an expert of employment for my conference. And I said, well, I do it in exchange of something. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, wherever you ask. <laughs> I said, OK, here we go. And so it was, uh, the, of course, when the minister arrived, I was like, what is wrong with you, Gabriela? Why are you promoting this? <laughs> I said, you are committed, my friend. <laughs> so uh, this is how we made it. And then we have the question of how do we, we follow up. And it's not a clear cut. I was actually a little bit um, uh, concerned to see that our champion, Canada, is uh, moving backwards. Uh, uh, these are things that we are starting to document. Because on top of the G20 uh, target, uh, the gender uh, strategy at the OECD has also a gender recommendation, which is very um, detailed in terms of the policies that countries need to put uh, together in all of the areas, education, employment, and entrepreneurship. Um, and so we are tracking our countries and those countries that uh, join the gender recommendation. Uh, and these provide us with a lot of information regarding the G20 countries. Uh, but the reality is that we still have some countries that are not uh, moving in the right direction, uh, Russia, Canada, and actually the US, which is, uh, is, not, um, is not looking good. Uh, but we will keep uh, um, uh, tracking it. Next year, we're going to be presenting a monitoring report of the gender recommendation and how countries are progressing or not in all these fields. And I think it's going to give us another ammunition to look forward. As I said, afterwards, we put it in the different uh, uh, summits. I actually was invited to a very interesting um, gathering that uh, Chancellor Merkel put together 
uh, to discuss the um, role models, uh, which is beautiful because you you should know uh, Chancellor Merkel has been there for 12 years, or and uh, and, uh, and and Monica Kweiser that you know well because she's also our gender expert. Her daughter, who is 12 years old, said, "Hey, mom, I have a question. Uh, could a man be a chancellor in Germany?" <laughs> So that was beautiful, but but the chancellor, because of her role and because she's a very prominent, uh, she gathered a, a group of women that were having impact in their in their specific fields, and it was a fantastic conversation. But the outcome was to say you need to go and spread the word. You need to go and convince girls at the at the age when they're taking decisions of what career to pursue or what to do to tell them that it's possible and that you can make it. And so this is, and, and we are continuing because uh, to, uh, we have the G20 with Germany, they also want to do something on gender, and the G7 with Italy. And it has become a permanent feature of these global gatherings. And I'm very happy because you can see how the discussion has changed. In Japan, as I said, immediately, Prime Minister Trudeau raised her hand, but then the others started talking. Indonesia said that they also have improved certain laws in terms of access to property, and I mean, they're really lagging behind. But it was good that this is no longer seen as a very strange topic, no? To be put <coughs> at the leader's table. And then, um, just to tell you that um, we're very proud to have been put that at the, at the leader's uh, uh, level. We're proud that we have been asked to monitor it, and we will be very strong on that work. Uh, but at the OECD, I invite you to take a look at all of the work that we're doing on gender. Of course, uh, uh, mainly by the gender strategy and the gender recommendation and the uh, uh, report that we will be doing. But we're also uh, working on gender equality in public life. We have another recommendation in that area. We follow up the developed cooperation uh, uh, financing that goes to gender issues in, uh, with the gender nut. And we also mm -hmm. have an index of social institutions and gender, uh, the CG, who is tracking all these cultural norms and institutions that are discriminatory. Uh, we put it in the Pacific Alliance too, these four countries, Mexico, Colombia, Peru, and uh, Chile. And we did a report that you can access in, in our webpage. And uh, we're doing uh, country work, uh, Mexico, Austria. I was happy also to be in the launch of the uh, uh, equality, gender equality system in Mexico with the president. The president was there for the very first time. And the, and the, and the lady that, um, leads the Institute of Women, uh, she said, please come and be very strong <laughs> and very critical. Only you can do it, because all of the others will be tame. And, and I was. I said, Mr. President, Mexico deserves better. I'm so happy you're here, but no. Labor force participation, gender gaps, uh, violence, uh, ninis, no? The, the, the rate of, uh, of, of girls not in employment and not in education in Mexico is 40%. It's just or three times the rate of, of, of girls' pregnancy in uh, adolescent girls. So all the indicators were like devastating. But the good point is that in Mexico, there is this commitment of, of, of doing it well. They did the, the target. They started building like massive infrastructure for childcare facilities. They are uh, <coughs> looking at discriminatory barriers. So I think that sometimes being at the bottom helps to say, oh my God. Let's just breathe and try to improve this because you want to escape. And so, but but again, I, I think that the OECD, uh, and I hope this is what I want to leave with you. The OECD is an institution like a wonderful Harvard. And yes, I'm very proud of being Kennedy. I was so 
getting to arrive, of course, I said, where is the yard? No, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's, 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 a, it's a sense of uh, real pride. Uh, but, uh, but at the OECD, it's another, another Harvard, where you look to put the things with evidence, where you look to put the things that work and public policy, where you want to inspire, uh, and where we think we can change the world. I mean, with little by little, uh, and with these kind of achievements. And so I'm very happy to be here. Some of the links, <coughs> any question, uh, send it to me. And also, there is my tweet. And, and all of these links, I would leave it to Iris uh, so you can uh, have access, because it's really amazing the amount of work that we're doing. And of course, uh, so glad that Stefano is here with us. <laughs> OK, thank you very much. what this means for the country's policy, like what needs to be done at the country level to meet, to close that gap? Because we talk about it so often, but what does this really mean for like national policy or policy at the local level, or how companies uh, hire and recruit people, or how you know we build a whole pipeline of, of women in the workforce? You know, in the, when, we, when we approved the gender recommendation, what was very important is that uh, we produce a report accompanying the, the the, the target that was very specific on that one because it's true that you can have a very nice political statement uh, but you really need to look at, the, at what are the policies first that have worked and second what is the country condition because this is something that all the countries said what well, I'm different no I have my own context I have my own policies I have my but there are certain instruments policy instruments regulations that we know work and so we accompany the recommendations with very uh, specific uh, um, uh, issues like, uh, well, the access to education and training. Are we really ensuring that women have access to training in the labor market? Do you, uh, do you put that emphasis in terms of when you design the, the uh, employment uh, training programs to make sure that women have access or that you ensure that you reach out to this group? Because uh, at least for people to be aware they're not even aware. They go for training and they have only men and nobody noticed, no? So this is the kind of issues that, that we are looking for. Um, the quality childcare, I think as I said, that's the most important, one of the most effective policies. And so we take a hard look. And then we say, okay, France, it's fantastic place because they really have uh, one of the leading uh, countries that, are, uh, that, that provide services uh, for early childcare education. Uh, we are doing well in all of the countries in general uh, age three to five, uh, we are lagging behind uh, age zero to two, so pre-K. Um, and so this is a very specific kind of, okay, let me look at your infrastructure now. Where are you, Mexico? Where are you, France? Where are you, Italy? Where are you? And so uh, are you really ensuring that women can have access to it? As I said, the dual parentally. Why businesses discriminate? Why don't they hire women? Well, because if you have 25 years old and then you're 25 years old or 30 years everybody's thinking, no, she's going to have a baby and she's going to leave the womb, no? So, well, let's just make sure that we have an, a very uh, uh, level playing field for men and women, and therefore that companies will be blind, as uh, Iris always said, let's be blind in terms of who you hire, because either one of those will go with it baby is born. So these kind of, of issues, it's very important. There are questions, for example, that uh, look at Germany. 
they have this, uh, they, 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 uh, in the tax system, uh, they uh, penalize the second earner. So when you are a dual income home, you're really jumping to a very high level of, of uh, tax uh, uh, bracket, and therefore, it's a fantastic disincentive for women not to work. Because if you're going to go for part-time work because you don't have the infrastructure to leave the kids, and then what you're earning is going to go to just pay the IRS, they don't work. No wonder Germany is one of those countries that even though their uh, employment rate is 65% average OECD, uh, the reality is that lots of women are part-time and not so uh, interesting or not so fulfilling uh, uh, jobs. So these kind of issues very concrete. <coughs> so we have a full set of, uh, of, uh, of uh, issues. You can even look at the at the um, labor market, uh, no, the ministerial meeting of the labor uh, 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 ministers of the G20 where we had all these uh, uh, recommendations. Uh, support women for self-employment and become entrepreneurs. Take a look at uh, producing financial uh, uh, support systems, no? dedicated for women, target for women, make them known. Uh, of course, promoting non-discriminatory practice at the workplace, uh, and career progression. There is one thing that I that I commented in my presentation with President Peña uh, Nieto in the in the in the in the system of equality, and I told him, uh, you know what, President, let me tell you an experiences I have, no, in terms of gender in Mexico. I came uh, as an OECD official, nothing to do with gender, no, but they invited me to present a report that I told you uh, on the target in the in Congress, and and it was. Because it was a Congress, no, it was the president of the Congress, who is a man, of course, and then there were many chairs of commissions in the Congress. There were there was a very good balance in terms of gender, no, um, and I was very happy. And then the Institute of Women invited us because they launched a reflection group, and then we sat, and I was happy to see men around the table. So I'm so happy to see men here around the table. Then uh, it was fine, and then I went to launch a very important program that we are doing with Mexico that is the skills strategy. It's a very interesting uh, format because what we do is that we bring together at the table representatives from education, from labor, from uh, finance, from employment, uh, from all the ministers. So I had around the table 18 uh, representatives at the deputy minister level of all these ministries, and they were all men. I was the only woman. And so it was like, ah, so it was like a cold shower you know, in the morning. And then I go there, only men in the table. Of all these ministries, and there were two or three mini deputy ministers in Iran. And what hurt me is that nobody noticed. That was the worst part of it. Not that they were there. That's something that we were but nobody noticed. So everybody was talking. Yes, it's important. And then I was going to make the presentation, and I said, uh, "Thank you very much, uh, but have you noticed the shape of the table?" No. The, <laughs> it's amazing. And I told them, of course, I gave them religion. I was like, how can you not notice? <laughs> it's just impossible. And they started to feel uncomfortable. No, but in this uncomfortable like, comment that they played. <laughs> but I told the president, I said, President, let's start noticing. Let's start noticing that when you're sitting with your minister, that there should be the women at the table. Let's start noticing not to have manuals. In the OECD, we don't have manuals. Panels composed only by men. Hey, pinch holes. The times we have had panels with only men, my God. 
my ladies ambassadors are fantastic, no? like they want to kill them. So no manos. And then I just said that there's not so many things you need to do, but just notice that you don't have women when you're discussing very important issues of the public life of Mexico. And the, and the, and the president called me afterwards. He said, Gabriela, I completely agree with you. I will bring more women to my cabinet. I said, well, I hope you do so. so it's, there's no secret. I think that there are, I don't know, Stefano, you want to add a No, the interesting point you were asking is that this, this target is actually in less than 10 years. So we're talking about 2025. So this is a G20 conference. So we can have, there was no space there to tell us specifically what each of the G20 countries had to do. What we managed to do is actually get all the G20 countries to agree on this common target, leading to the country to decide what were the priority, given the conditions they have, what are the levels they can use, but of course then, to the work of the OECD, we have been helping most of them, if not all of them, to try to identify what are the areas in which uh, progress can be made in the short run. So there's a lot of work that goes on at the OECD to promote gender, uh, gender balance along the different dimensions with a short and a medium term objective. In the context of the G20, we want to push a target with a pretty short timetable, so 10 years time is not a very large, long period of time, right? And we leave to the country to decide what they want to do, but also the G20 agree to have the country reporting back on how much progress they've made. So this year, actually next year in Germany, we're going to have the first report about you know, the chart that Gabriella was presenting about whether countries have made progress or not, whatever way they've adopted to make this progress. And actually, it's a sort of a, a comparison about those countries have made significant progress, see some of them, and others actually have gone backward. And therefore, this would be, again, a further pressure, because this would be shared across all the, all the G20 countries about making further progress, making sure we can reach this target to 100 million more women into the labor force by 2025, which is, I think, I think we should get there. I think the important point that uh, in my conversation at the more technical level with uh, China and India says, if we actually sign on this target, we have to make it. That's, you know, <laughs> we are serious. So they wanted to know exactly how to get there, and we have been working a lot behind the scene to try to reassure them that it was feasible, it is doable. It's a lot of specific work, a lot of proactive actions that have to be put in place, starting from early childhood education, moving into labor market barriers, removing some of the barriers that do exist for women to participate, and so on and so forth. So it's been, I think it's an important process, and uh, we're gonna keep pressure for the next years to get into 2025. And this question of the, of the manuals and the, the, the just taking note is very close to what Iris is doing in terms of recognizing your own bias. And, and this is the, the, the stereotyping and the, and the fact that, that, that we always get into these uh, uh, issues is, 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 is very important. Uh, and that's, uh, that's a complicated uh, question because of course it's just uh, behavioral norms and, and, how we, and that's why it's so important to continue promoting role models and try to see that is that is possible. Um, so I think what, what a lot of the developing or more, more developed countries I'm sorry, more developed countries actually experiencing is that there's sort of a shift after childbearing from used to be normal to not work. So labor force participation was zero, but now there's a change to part-time employment. But it looks like even for countries like Denmark, there's no gender gap up until the arrival of a child and then it opens. And it's because of women out selected the public sector, women go for, you know, or for part-time jobs. So I just wonder what can really be achieved in order to, so that's in order to, to, well, to the, the fact, that. The fact is that we really need to, um, one thing for example that I also told the, the president is like, we, I, I feel that sometimes we are uh, going for the hardcore 
things like these policies that are completely trying to level the playing field because we should recognize that there are different functions we perform in life and man cannot be pregnant, so that is the fact. Uh, but, but, but leveling the playing field is one thing. But if we continue re reproducing stereotyping and discriminatory barriers that are in the mind, it's, it's just going to produce those results even in the more advanced economies. And so, and so addressing also the biases that we have uh, in terms of uh, the selection, the recruitment, the, the, the where do you put the, the as, as we saw in Korea and, and Japan, uh, enacting this, this uh, norm and not being able to, to move it forward is, is important. So we need to look, uh, boil it down in the institutional setting where these things happen and, and look at, the, at how do we manage really to turn around <coughs> and, and the question of the, of the sharing of the burden, which is not even achieved in all the countries, is, is, is complicated. Thank you so much for um, being here today. Um, my question is more on women's entrepreneurship. Um, could you please expand a little bit on what countries can do to increase access to capital for underbanked women, especially. Um, but also, how can we build capacity for entrepreneurship with women? Because early childhood is great for countries that are able to do that. But now, at this stage, that how, how can women um, be encouraged to become entrepreneurs and move from that critical juncture of being artisans to entrepreneurs? Well, first of all, I think you really need to work with the financial sector. <laughs> I think there is a very straight, a strong bias uh, in terms of what are the conditions that are required uh, for people to have access that at the end produce very unequal uh, outcomes, not only for women in general who has less, less guarantees and who has less track records and who has less uh, uh, credit history and all these things that immediately kill you because there's no way. I mean, if you're starting to be uh, thinking about accessing financing, uh, your track record is usually less strong than any men, and, and the financial sector would not even care about it. So we, we are actually working in the, in the area that uh, is uh, addressing the analysis of uh, financial market performance. Thank you. Um, and, uh, and to look at those barriers. I think that every single aspect that you mentioned have the specific barriers that might hit the vulnerable groups, but that also contributes to gender discrimination because of all these things. And so what we have been doing is exactly that, to take a look at what are the conditions that financial markets are uh, having for, for accessing loans. Uh, what kind of reach out do they do to go for a non-traditional group of customers that might be uh, in need of financial needs? Uh, and they don't do it. They, I mean, the, the fact is that after the financial crisis, there is also a rethinking of, of, the, of the financial of the banks, no? and they, the, the, lending, the resuming of lending in Europe is very slow, and in some other parts of the world, you know that we have a problem with banks in general, and the, and the zero interest rate environment that is not producing incentives from them to channel loans to productive activities because, of course, investment is very low. But in general, you will always find that these discriminatory barriers that you are not uh, you have not developed to target women, of course, but that produce the outcome needs to be addressed. And then, of course, you have some very interesting uh, uh, projects of, of institutions that are just producing uh, very visible financial uh, uh, projects or, or access for specific groups. You know? And then you have the youth in Europe. There are lots of uh, uh, 
financial lines that are dedicated to you, but there are women. And women that uh, they also lead to financial literacy. We have a program in UACD of financial literacy that is linked also to PISA, but to our financial markets, because of course, vulnerable groups and women who usually don't go to STEM, don't go to math, or go, don't feel that they have <coughs> the capacity or the financial knowledge enough to engage in a one-to-one -one discussion with these financial institutions. So again, it's just a more comprehensive set of tools that you need to uh, put in place, uh, but then go through a gender lens. Because in general, yes, we want to uh, increase access uh, to financial resources to uh, low-income groups and to vulnerable groups and to uh, SMEs and uh, thriving or, or, or SMEs that are facing uh, barriers, uh, but you also need to have a gender lens and, and programs that address women issues that are related to the lack of training, to the lack of guarantees, to the lack of track records, to the lack of, or even to just reach out and say, here is a program that can uh, be uh, tuned to you. It was very interesting because sometimes, as I said, because of the cultural context in which we live, women are usually stepping back, no? And the, and the ambassador of Chile in the OECD was former minister of uh, employment, no? Um, and, and I asked her, how did it, how did it happen? because of course Latin America is a very machist uh, region. And she said, you know, I never thought I, I was, I could be a candidate to be a minister. Until President Bachelet arrived and she said, I'm gonna recruit a, 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 a half a half, no? a, 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 a equity, a equal uh, cabinet. So I, I would really like to have the best and the brightest and I, I would be looking for very bright women and very bright men. No? And then she said, I'm here, no? <laughs> because she was in Congress. So then I'm here, hey, hey. And she was appointed. But she said, I would never think about it. So the awareness, the, the, the financial sector, again, raising awareness that they know and that they can reach out and that you can call, hey, I have this first year, or, uh, it's also very important. Yes, please. Hi, uh, thank you so much for sharing you're touching the, the real question of the cultural norms that we are exposed to, um, and that also uh, ask for women uh, to really carry the burden of raising families. So that's 
the other kind of incentives that we were talking about. But in terms of institutions to get down into the detail, I think that we really need to, again, raise awareness in the different sectors and the different enterprises, the different institutions, the government, of the fact that you need to be preparing the pipeline of women that will be able to be considered for promotion. To introduce the kind of, of gender lenses in the institutions that will allow you to, uh, to uh, have prepared women when the time comes. But it's never the case. Because of course, institutions have many things to do, and the less they want to do is to be uh, complicating their lives in terms of really uh, preparing and identifying uh, talent, gender, uh, not uh, women from the from the same. Uh, even in the OECD, uh, for us, uh, the Secretary General is very strong and says, "I really want to increase the uh, leadership, uh, uh, gender coming from from women at the top." Uh, and you know that you need to do three times the effort at reaching out the suitable candidates <coughs> that will take the jobs. So even in institutions that are gender friendly, uh, the reality is that sometimes you don't have the, the, the talent or the, 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 the women that will be ready to take the, the, the positions. And so there is an additional effort that these institutions need to be doing. First, at implementing programs inside their workplace to identify talent that can be nurtured, mentoring, uh, producing the kind of uh, support, training support that will be required, and to track the, the progress of, of uh, women inside the organization. And then when the time comes that you have the rules and the systems to say uh, we need to have a balanced uh, uh, kind of leadership and, and that will force this institution to, have to, look, to look for a woman. But it's not easy. It's not easy because you have all these constraints. The constraint that women need to go and then they go out, and then to reconnect with the labor market is very difficult. The, the difficulty that is imposed in organizations to on top of pr producing the results and getting the talent in general, that you will need to go for equal uh, distribution. I mean, it's, it's very complicated, but if we raise the awareness and if we take those decisions inside the organization, I think it works. Having targets, I mean, I love quotas. I would say go for quotas, no? But some institutions are complicated, setting set. But go for targets. Let's say we can reach now from here, and that's what we have done in the OECD, which is a very male-oriented organization. First, because you have to move out of your country, and women are not movable, the husbands are not movable. And second, it's an economic institution, so the, the kind of entourage that we have is very male-oriented. Uh, but what we have done is to say targets. We, from, now, from here to then, I want to have 30% women in the, this position. And we have been moving. It's amazing. When Stefano was looking for a deputy director, uh, if we were in the old days, he would say, okay, the best and the brightest, thank you, no? But then we look at the whole thing, and we say, well, it's not possible. Yes, the outcome was there was a very strong male <laughs> uh, who has done his career all of his life, and it's not the time to punish him. <laughs> uh, but there was a very strong woman. So the Secretary General decided to create two jobs <laughs> at the same level. And so you see these kind of tools, you will need to be deploying them all of the time. No, Stefano? Yeah. No, but it's interesting. You were mentioning Malaysia, but if you look at Japan and Korea, so you see the gap that Gabriela was showing, there are more college graduate girls, women, than uh, men and boys. Yet when you look into the labor market, many of them enter the labor market, and then they leave the labor market when they're in their first child, 
And when they come back, both in Korea and Japan, they go into a parallel track, which is called a non-regular job. Actually, they define a specific type of job. So you're moving to non-regular employment. It means that your career then is pretty flat, and you're earning something like, on average, 60% of what someone in a regular track actually earns, doing more or less the same type of job. Right? So then, of course, with the childcare facility, they're trying to help women to reconcile family responsibility and work responsibility. Yeah, it worked a little bit, but not that much. So now the focus actually focus on the behavior of the fathers and of the men. So the 52 weeks of paternity leave is an attempt to actually try to convince the fathers to take the paternity leave and to actually take care of the child. Only 3% of the fathers actually do it, not because they don't care about their child, but because they think that if they do it, then they actually compromise their own career. So much of what is happening in both Korea and Japan now is actually to uh, advisory campaign in the company to try to change the behavior of the manager who actually take the decision as to whether to allow the father, to allow the mother to take some uh, maternity leave or paternity leave and actually bring them back into the career track they had before. It's a long process because there's much a government can do, but then what happens in the firm, in the company, is decided by the managers. And bringing more managers, more women at the top management actually change behavior of the company itself. So now they have, uh, I was mentioning before, in Japan they have this price that they give to corporations that bring more women to a top managerial position, and actually they are rewarded by the project, by the activity that actually the women do in these jobs. But it's a long process. So policy can do a lot, especially on the childcare, on the family, try to help women, but you have to help also the fathers, the men, to actually change their own behavior in a way that is consistent with the family decision about how to move forward themselves together. But, but then there is also this question of, uh, of thinking out of the box. I was, I was for example, and, and this comes to the core of the OECD to learn from uh, interesting practices. I was, I was very surprised, for example, that the UK, they have very interesting practices in general, how to increase uh, uh, female participation and innovative practices to allow uh, women that have young children with special needs to continue performing at interesting level in certain organizations. I was once meeting with the Deputy Minister of, uh, of uh, Finance um, in the OECD, and, uh, and it was a she. And so I said, okay, uh, I'll send you the document on Tuesday, no? And she said, no, well, okay, if you send me the document on Tuesday, send it to the name of Sally whatever, all right, put Sally whatever. Uh, she's the Deputy of Tuesday and Thursday. I am the Deputy of Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I was like, what? Okay. No, yes, they have that in the UK. That is amazing. And it shows that you can make it. The deputy minister, and she was sharing it. And because both of them have children, and both of them have the incentive to, to succeed, they are the best colleagues. They pass all the information, they help each other, they deliver. And so this, this kind of uh, no, settings. And then the other point that, that Iris has worked so much, uh, the question of stereotypes. I mean, we cannot move this agenda if we continue reproducing the same stereotypes of what is meant for a girl and what is meant for a boy. And one of the things, for example, that we have pushed very strongly in the question of STEM is to have a, a, a revision of all the textbooks and all of the school materials and, and the training of teachers to be gender neutral. Not to say pink and blue, not to say beauty and strong, not to say no to push the, 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 the human beings for human beings, not because they're boys or girls, 
Uh, but it's very difficult because you have all this stereotyping. In, in France, President Hollande wanted to push this agenda and he was thrilled. Everybody said that he wanted to change the sex of the kids and the most radical conservative group took the kids out of the children, no, uh, uh, playgrounds and so. Uh, but I think it's a combination of all, of, of all these things that will help us to deliver uh, much better. I think we have about three questions left. You had a question. Uh, so why don't we, if, if okay, if you, Gabriela, maybe we'll collect them, and maybe Stefan, you can help jump in. Um, so why don't we do last round of questions? Okay, thank you. My question was related to your last comment. And well, and as we know, one way to improve gender equality is to change how men behave, work, and think. And one way to do it is to foster parental uh, leave, no? But also in Spain, for example, my friends are saying, oh, we are not taking them because if I'm taking, I'm violating the image of ideal worker, real man, whatever, whatever. So the question is, what to do with my friends, or what to do mm -hmm. uh, uh, to foster, well, to change this man attitude? Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you. Yes. Um, so my question was, you talked a little bit about like how you will be monitoring the commitments, mm -hmm. and when we see that you have countries that have the policies in place but people aren't using them, or you have other countries who are very hesitant because they think that they don't have the capacity or to kind of implement these, could you talk a little bit more about how you're going to monitor the commitments? Mm -hmm. Thank you. So my question is kind of broken up into three things that segue into one question. So from India, um, I can relate that in way an entrepreneurship basis, you have women entrepreneurs kind of increasing in number, but at the same time, they're strictly limited to kind of being either in culinary or kind of clothing arts, and that's kind of biased in that sense. There's a cultural bias in terms of having childcare development. We don't have the same public schooling system that we have here there, so you have to actually end up having an economic impact in order to have your child be able to study in childcare from a very young age. And then the last part is that I know, because I'm an undergraduate student, university right now that there was a lot of pressure upon me to join as an information technology student instead of a law student and how do we kind of push that bias away because law is viewed as more leadership oriented program that I'm not supposed to currently take part of so how much effect do you think cultural economic and um, gender bias have upon each each other and how do you think you can address that in areas like India and Pakistan where it's obviously such a big issue. Very simple question. So, yeah, we'll get to that one last one. Sorry, we should have one. Just four, sorry. Very quickly. Um, you've gave us some fascinating insights into how the gender equality target in the G20 is achieved. And I was just wondering if you could say a little bit more about the sort of strategies, the tactics, the alliances, and the sort of networks that, mm -hmm. that you mobilized, and what your biggest challenges were Based in the mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, very, very important. <laughs> all important and all big questions that you have to answer now. I think in three minutes. You have to run at 20 no. off. <laughs> but, 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 the, but the point that I want to say is that these questions are the real questions in which we don't have all the answers. But I think that we have some indications, and all of you are going to be helping us uh, answer them. Let me tell you the question of when you are completely right. I think that we would make more progress if we frame this debate as a gender debate for men and women. The kind of, of, of message that I was trying to convey to the Japanese uh, people, no? 
Uh, at the OECD, we are uh, developing an agenda for well-being of people that is not only related to the income and to the not. It's, it's really how do you ensure that you have a setting where families thrive, where, where kids thrive, where not. And we, we, but as a man, you have not time for yourself and time for the family. So the core of the issue is the family-friendly policies. Family-friendly policies in all the senses in terms of allowing men and women to take care of their families in having infrastructure that will, uh, of course, allow them to, uh, for the kids to be well uh, uh, taken care of, uh, but also constructing the, the environment that will help them um, be perceived as uh, a responsible uh, human being that is taking care of other children, <laughs> which is, we need to develop that. And, and we have cases that have succeeded, as I, as I, as I mentioned, in Canada. Canada 20 years ago was a country in the very same league of having a dual parental leave and, and, and men not taking it because they were going to be labeled. The fact is that it was a question of cultural awareness. It was a question of putting children first. It was not a gender agenda. It was children first. Children first. You want to enjoy your children. Children balance, development, having more than that. Uh, and then, of course, the burden sharing, the fairness. The, it was a lot of, of, of <coughs> awareness campaign for uh, encouraging men to take the, 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 the dual parental leave. At the end, it worked. It worked because it was not framed as a right or wrong girls or boys, or it was framed as a kind of society where you want to live in, and a society that is caring about family. And so it's, it's, it's a way you frame it. And I think that the fact that we didn't frame it, and it's a pity because sometimes I just want to go and say, it's a women's issue and I don't care. But, or I'm a feminist, no? That seems to be, oh, oh she's a feminist. But maybe it's not as effective. It's not effective. If we frame it like that, you immediately get this reaction of, ah, it's against me, no? Yeah. It's not against anybody. It's just really saying, is this the kind of society you want to live? Because men are not enjoying, and then if you take a look at the kind of education that men have, it's very sad because they have to be the breadwinners. And oh my God, you are not delivering for your family. You are—it's—it's it's awful. I mean, I have even that experience with my beautiful mother-in-law because my husband followed me, and then he didn't have a job, and then she came to my house and said, "Ricardo, you are responsible of your family." I was like, "Peach." <laughs> <laughs> he has been paying these 20 days back babies. <laughs> she understood. And then she went back to my mom and said, oh my god, my daddy is fantastic. She's so nice. I like, yes, but you were going to des destroy the thing because I saw Ricardo like coming up. <laughs> no, let's build a more happy society for all, not for women. No? So that's, that's a very complicated question, but, but I think we can, make it. we can take a look at the countries that have managed to build more balanced society, more friendly society for human beings that is not only thinking of producing more. And that, and by the way, that's why we are also moving away from GDP per capita and all these measures that are just so distorting the view of what matters for people in life. And, and so these things need to come uh, in that sense. The monitoring and implementation, I think, is key. We are tired of fantastic political commitments. Uh, we had the fantastic Chinese government <laughs> in 85. No? We have my beautiful recommendations in the 80s. No? And what's the progress? Very limited. So first of all, yes, go for targets. Go for 
clear, identifiable, hardcore measures that you are going to attain, and second, look for the implementation. And that's something that at the OECD would, we have learned a lot since the financial crisis. We used to be an organization of advanced economies that will determine what are the best policies. Thank you. And then you leave the countries to do it. Surprise, surprise. Sometimes they don't have the people in the, in the uh, public institutions. Sometimes they don't have the awareness. Sometimes they don't have the training. Sometimes, and so you just adopt these policies and leave it to somebody that will probably implement it or not, that is also having a lot of biases and not convinced about this being a very worthy agenda to invest. So, so the reality is that we are also looking at the institutions. We are looking at, at, at gender budgeting. We are looking at applying the gender lens to the different uh, issues in the agenda. Uh, but as I said, not because of women, but because we want to achieve a more balanced uh, outcome. And this goes uh, straight into the question of, of India, which is a very complicated one because, uh, because it's cultural norms. And, and I also told the president of Mexico, and I was very happy that he, that he repeated that in his conclusions. I said, President, we also need to change the soap operas and the television <laughs> and all this because we are running on, we're protecting the families, go and tell your girls that you can, and then you go for the soap operas and women are presented like a, like a, 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 a I don't know, a pair, no? Like waiting to be saved by a wonderful gentleman. Actually, <laughs> I am a chevalier, which is a, a, a caballero. There's no way that <laughs> <laughs> my, my friends tease me, hola caballero, no? <laughs> Gentlemen, that's the way it is. Uh, but, but there are so many biases so, so that we really need to, to, to look at how do we try to fight all those stereotypes and all those reproduction of, of role models and of uh, biases and, and, and it's, it's very complicated. But at least we need to step up each one of ourselves in where, where you are whenever you see that there is something that is reproducing this bias to say, hey, 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 wait, no, no, wait. And so this, this kind of, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge effort and, and it has to have an institutional part, it has to have a government-led leadership, uh, convincing the business sector, no? Um, it's, it's very, it's complicated. In terms of the, of the tactics, I, I kind of uh, share with you some of these uh, triple, no, first, Sherpa's working group on employment, uh, three girls uh, doing it, and then Stefano fighting with all these uh, men, no, usually. But you have the French lady, which was fantastic. <laughs> and so uh, he also has his, uh, his, uh, his allies there in the, in the working group. Uh, the tactics was evidence-based, evidence-based. This was not religion, this was not dogma, it was evidence-based. You're losing. You're investing, you're losing. You're investing, you're losing. We are down in the road path. We have this lever. Why are not we using it? So I think people are smart, and so people understand when you come with very strong proofs that is not a question of ideology. It's not a question of trying to impose anything. It's just a question of pure uh, logic and a reasonable outcome. So, so I think the evidence helped a lot, and this is one of the ways in which the OECD connects a lot with the with the G20 because we are um, not dogmatic. We naturally, as I said, we launched these new approaches to economic challenge exactly to always be testing our assumptions and looking at what works and what doesn't, and not only at our big, beautiful, dogmatic designs. No? So I think that helped a lot. And of course, I think that there is uh, this sense of um, uh, vulnerability. The, the Prime Minister of Italy put it very 
uh, dramatically in the last G20 summit saying, we are in the time of fear. People are fearing about everything, are fearing about the future, fearing about their children, and whether they will have a better outcome with fearing about the migrants, fearing about the jobs. And so we need to, to get that around and to say, we can make it, and we can try to, and to look around that you have these elements that will help us to build a better uh, outcomes. And so I think that the gender became kind of that element that could help and that could add up. And you could see it with the leaders, no? Even those that were not convinced were saying, well, it makes sense, no? In this very lonely battle to get the countries to improve their outcomes, we have warriors that are going to help us. We have the girls. Bring the girls, no? And so this was the kind of, uh, of, of battle. I said Mexico, South Africa, Russia was beautiful because she's a girl, it's Lana, the, the Sherpa. And she was saying, we are perfect. What's the problem? <laughs> Women everywhere, no? And, and it was amazing because it was, it was, it was not true. And I was discussing with her, I was discussing with her, Lana, please, how can you say that? No, look at your, no? Pictures of the Russian leaders, no women. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that we're fine. And I remember writing to Stefano because I was in the ship. I mean, Lana sure. is saying that Russia is fine. He said, we just, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Lana, no? <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> so this kind of convincing, 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 and, and trying to, and also instilling the sense that you can do it. As Stefano said, you can do it. It had happened in other countries. It had been achieving. So don't feel that it's unsurmountable because First, there was the bias, as I said, of the Chinese or the Mexicans saying, go home, little girl, and stop bothering. But then there was the real issue of committing to something that could, have, could be very difficult. And so again, telling them the stories. People listen to stories of what had worked and what can be done uh, help us to, to, to move the agenda. Uh, so we were very proud, but of course, uh, it's not, it's not uh, earned yet. <laughs> it's just the beginning. Well, thank you very much. Please join me. Thank you so much for joining us, um, all three of you. Um, and we'll see many of you again next Thursday for our regular session. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Arisa. Thank you, everybody, for your wonderful questions. Thank you.